order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mike Amesbury. Yeah. Question number one. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, this Friday marks 30 years since the bombing of Pam Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie. It was the biggest loss of life from a terrorist atrocity on UK soil. I know that the thoughts of the whole House will be with the families and friends of the 270 people who perished and all those whose lives have been affected. Mr Speaker, may I wish all members and staff a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I'm sure, I'm sure that the whole House will want to join me in sending our warmest Christmas wishes to all our armed forces who are stationed overseas. I'm sure that I also speak on behalf of the whole House in sending Christmas wishes to all members of the emergency services and those who will be working over Christmas. Their service and sacrifice is inspirational and we owe them a great debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mike Amesbury. Yes, um, Mr Speaker, I'd like to wish everybody here a Merry Christmas, the Prime Minister and all members of the House as well. The, the Prime Minister may recall that during the first Prime Minister's questions of 2018, I asked her to do more to support the victims of the leasehold mis-selling scandal. Yeah. Can I use the last Prime Minister's questions of the year to ask whether she's done anything about it or whether she's <laughs> going to kick it into not. the long grass as she has done with the meaningful vote? Can I say to the honourable gentleman that we have in fact been taking action in relation to leaseholds because we want to make sure that the leasehold system is fair and transparent to the consumer so their home truly feels like their own. In July, my right honourable friend, the Housing Secretary, announced that no new government funding scheme will be used to support the unjustified use of leasehold for new houses. Uh, and our technical consultation on how to improve the leasehold market uh, for consumers is now closed. We've had responses from almost 1,300 people and organisations. We're analysing the responses and we will introduce legislation as soon as parliamentary time allows. Alberto Costa. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, you will know that the issue of British nationals living in the EU and EU nationals living in the UK is a matter of the utmost importance to every member of this House. Yeah. Given the comments made by the Prime Minister, her welcome comments when she came back from Salzburg about protecting the rights of EU nationals, at least those resident up until the 29th of March, in the event of no deal, can she confirm to this House that in the event of no deal, and I hope that won't be the case, that she will get a legally binding multilateral agreement with the EU on the issue of citizens' rights ahead of the 29th of March. Well, can I say, my honourable friend is absolutely right, of course, and has, and, and has consistently raised and championed the needs and concerns of EU citizens here in the UK. And our withdrawal agreement does guarantee those rights. Uh, and that's important not just for individuals but also for businesses. We're clear that in a no-deal scenario, EU citizens resident in the UK by the 29th of March 2019 will be able to stay and will be able to continue to access in-country benefits and services on broadly the same terms as now. That demonstrates our ongoing commitment. We obviously want to uh, work with 
and are strongly engaging with EU counterparts to urge them to make the same commitment to protect the rights of UK nationals who are living in the European Union. We have been clear about the rights of EU nationals here in a no-deal scenario. We want the EU to do the same for UK citizens living in the 27. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in remembering the events at Lockerbie 30 years ago. I remember the silence that fell on this entire building when the news came out of what had happened at Lockerbie. And for the people of Lockerbie, the trauma lives on. And for the families of the victims, it also lives on. And we should remember them today. And Mr Speaker, can I also take this opportunity to wish you and all members of the House and everyone around our country a very happy Christmas, and particularly to those that have to work over Christmas and, of course, our armed services that will also be on duty over the Christmas period. And all the best for a peaceful and welcome 2019. <laughs> Mr Speaker, well, I've gained acquiescence. <laughs> My Christmas good wishes do extend to everyone over there as well. However, until then, until then, Mr Speaker, I just have to say this. The Prime Minister has plunged this country into a national crisis. She refused Parliament the... She refused Parliament the right to vote on her Brexit deal. She said that she did that to seek further assurances. She failed. She's now claiming that she is still seeking further assurances, while all the time running down the clock on the alternatives. So can the Prime Minister explain to us when the European Council will meet to approve the changes that they have already ruled out. <laughs> Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, we are indeed still uh, working with the European Union. We have discussions with the European Union to seek those assurances that this House wanted us to seek. Can I just correct the right honourable gentleman on one particular point? He referenced the issue of the meaningful vote. We will have that meaningful vote here in the House. I set out earlier this week. I set out. Well, it's, it's absolutely no. There's absolutely no point in members on the other side of the House shouting out when, because I set out in the statement on Monday when that will uh, that will take place. But can I can I can I just say to the right honourable gentleman? Week after week, he has stood here on this issue and talked about what he's against. He never says what he's for. So, so if he wants, if he wants to fulfil the will of the referendum, to support jobs, to end free movement, to do those trade deals, to avoid no deal, then he needs to vote for this deal. He can talk all he likes about a meaningful vote. All he gives us is a meaningless position. Mr Speaker, we should have had the vote a week ago. The Prime Minister denied Parliament the opportunity to have that vote. And she's still unclear as to when it will actually take place. Mr Speaker, there are no meetings of the European Union Council scheduled until the 21st of March. And the EU has been very clear 
There are no more negotiations, clarifications or meetings. She will be bringing back the same deal she pulled last week. It's an intolerable situation and she's simply playing for time. And on Monday, and on Monday, in a response to a question from the Honourable Member for Belfast North on the backstop, she said, I am seeking further political and legal assurances in relation to those issues which can be achieved in a number of ways. The Prime Minister must clearly set out now how will she achieve these legally binding assurances before the House is due to return on the 7th of January? We will, we will set out what is achieved in our EU discussions uh, when we uh, return in the new year, when we have had those discussions, when we bring those assurances back. But can I just say to the right honourable gentleman, he can get as, as angry as he likes about this issue, but it doesn't hide the fact... It doesn't hide the fact that he has no Brexit plan. And I, know, I, know, I know it's Christmas. I know he's looked in his stocking down the chimney under the Christmas tree. He still hasn't found a Brexit plan. He has to accept his responsibility to deliver on Brexit. Order. You're normally, Mr Yassine, a most composed, almost laid-back individual. You're becoming very hot-headed. I'm worried for your own sake. Calm down. Be a good fellow. The Prime Minister. The right honourable gentleman has to accept his responsibility for delivering on Brexit. And, uh, you know, there are some people... There are some people that say that the leader of the opposition just going through the motions. What we saw this week is he isn't even doing that. Mr Speaker, it's the Prime Minister who is supposed to be undertaking the negotiation. It's the Prime Minister that's failed to bring an acceptable deal back. And if she doesn't like doing it, then step aside and let somebody else do it. Mr Speaker, that she is stalling for... Order! I made it clear that the Prime Minister must not be shouted down. No one should even bother trying to shout down the Leader of the Opposition. It won't work against the Prime Minister and it won't work against the Right Honourable Gentleman. End of subject. Jeremy Corbyn. Speaker, the reality is that the Prime Minister is stalling for time. There is still no majority for her shoddy deal in this House. It isn't stoical, it's cynical. And as the Honourable Member for East Surrey said, we have displacement activity designed to distract from last week's failed renegotiation. The International Trade Secretary said, and I quote, I think that it is very difficult to support the deal if we don't get changes to the backstop. I'm not even sure if the Cabinet will agree for it to be put to the House of Commons. So can the Prime Minister give us a cast-iron guarantee the vote in this House will not be delayed yet again? Right, yeah. 
say to the right honourable gentleman, we have been very clear about the process that we are going through, and we have been very clear about when the vote will be brought back to this House. Now, of course, now of course, the details of that debate have to be uh, discussed in the usual channels in the usual way. But the right honourable gentleman uh, uh, made a response when I said he had a responsibility on delivering Brexit. Every member of this House has a responsibility. of the votes cast for members of this House were for members of this House who stood on a manifesto commitment to honour the referendum and deliver on Brexit. And what people will say, what people will say to the right honourable gentleman, if he fails to recognise that he has a duty, as has everybody in this House, to deliver on Brexit, that once again he's just bottled it. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister didn't answer my question about a cast-iron guarantee. She is the one that has denied Parliament the right to vote on this subject. So please, no lectures to Parliament when it's the Prime Minister that's denying MPs the possibility of a vote on this. We should have had a vote a week ago. We should now be debating practical alternatives. She is behaving in a disgraceful way that is frankly an outrage. Mr Speaker, no deal would be a disaster for our country and no responsible government would ever allow it. Just two weeks ago, the Chancellor said preparations for leaving with no deal could not be done in a matter of months. They would take years to complete. No deal is simply not an option. So why doesn't the Prime Minister stop the pretence and stop wasting £4 billion in a cynical attempt to drive her deeply damaging deal through this House? If the right honourable gentleman doesn't want to see money being spent on no deal, he's got an easy answer. Vote for this deal. Mr Speaker, what the Prime Minister is doing is a criminal waste of money. She is recklessly, she is recklessly running down... Order, order, order in this House of Commons, where we're supposed to try to treat each other with respect, no one under any circumstances is going to be shouted down. So stop the attempted shouting down on both sides, abandon the juvenile finger-wagging which achieves precisely nothing, and let each other be heard. It's called the assertion of democratic principle. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is recklessly running down the clock all in a shameful attempt to make her own bad deal look like the lesser of two evils. With rising crime, 20,000 fewer police on our streets, 100,000 vacancies in our National Health Service and the worst performance for any November on record last month, how can the Prime Minister justify wasting that money on no deal that cannot and will not happen. I say to the right honourable gentleman that uh, 
while until the deal has, a deal has been ratified, it is the responsible position of government and it is, would be the responsible position of any government to put in place contingency arrangements for no deal. But I repeat to him, if he wants to ensure that we leave the European Union with a deal, then he has to put into practice what he's saying and actually vote for a deal. And, and he talks, yet again, yet again, he talks about issues like the, uh, the question of the number of police officers and money going into the police. We put extra money, they've made extra money available to the police this year. We made extra money available to the police, and what did the Labour Party do? They voted against it. The Prime Minister should stop dithering and put it to the vote of the House. Let the House make a decision on it. Her friend, the Honourable Member for Totnes, is right, is she not, when she said that the threat of no deal, and I quote, is an absolute disgrace. The Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, has thrown away two years on her botched negotiations. She's now recklessly wasting £4 billion of public money. She's holding Parliament and the country to ransom. She is irresponsibly risking jobs, investment and our industries. There have been no changes, so she must put her deal to the vote. Parliament must take back control. There is no majority in this House for no deal, Mr Speaker. Isn't this just a deeply cynical manoeuvre from a failing and utterly reckless Prime Minister? to the right honourable gentleman it's a bit rich him standing here and talking about dithering let's see what the Labour Party let's see what the Labour Party did this week they said they would call a vote of no confidence then they said they wouldn't then he said he would then it wasn't effective I know it's I know it's Christmas I know it's Christmas I know it's Christmas order members must not shout at the Prime Minister the order Order. Calm yourselves. Try to get into the Christmas spirit. Or if you can't do that, at least listen to the Prime Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. They said they'd put down a vote of no confidence. Then they said they wouldn't. Then they said they would. Then they did it, but it wasn't effective. I know it's the Christmas season and the pantomime season, but what do we see from the Labour front bench and the right honourable gentleman? He's going to put a confidence vote. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, no, he isn't. I've got some... I've got some news for him. I've got some advice for the right honourable gentleman. Look behind you. They're not impressed and neither is the country. May I wish the Prime Minister a well-deserved Chequers chillax over Christmas before the start of the new panto season, but on the basis that there may be £39 billion going spare in the new year, may I give her my priority Christmas list? Justice for the 1950s waspy women, genuinely fair funding for hard-pressed schools in West Sussex, addressing the estimated £2 billion shortfall in children's social care, and for good measure, a vote of absolutely no confidence whatsoever in Her Majesty's opposition. 
can I, can I thank my honourable friend for his good wishes? In fact, actually, I won't be at Chequers at Christmas, but I will take his good wishes uh, to apply wherever I am at uh, Christmas. Can I just say to, can I say to the honourable gentleman that, as he will know, obviously we are putting more money into social care and uh, more money into uh, into the various issues that he, I know, is concerned about. Uh, but I do, I do agree with him that I think if there is any vote of no confidence in this house, it should be with the leader of the opposition. Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister on the atrocity of Lockerbie? And can I wish you and everyone a Merry Christmas, a time to be spending it with friends and family. I look forward to spending it on the Isle of Skye. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. The British Chamber of Commerce, the CBI, the EEF, the Federation of Small Business and the Institute of Directors, they represent hundreds of thousands of businesses and today they have said their members are watching in horror at the actions of this government, watching in horror, Mr Speaker. This Prime Minister and the Conservative Party are not fit for government. With 100 days left on the clock, this government has failed businesses. It has failed members of this House and it has failed citizens right across the UK. Will the Prime Minister move aside and put a vote to the people? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, um, first of all, actually, I think what is causing concern for businesses is the fact that Parliament has not been able to come to a decision because people... Honourable members on the opposition benches and in his own party pointing across the chamber. They have a responsibility to deliver on Brexit for the British people as well, and it's high time they took that responsibility seriously. A deal that works for the UK, a deal that works for Scotland. That's what we're offering. It's supported by Tech UK, the Federation of Small Businesses, the Scottish Chambers of Commerce, the Scottish Whiskey Association, the Scottish Fishermen's Association, Oil and Gas UK. They're supporting the deal. Why isn't he? Well, if the Prime Minister thinks the deal is worth putting to this House, why did she pull the vote? The SNP will not stand by and watch this Prime Minister wreck our economy and rob our citizens of their rights. Mr Speaker, yesterday, alongside other opposition party leaders, the SNP tabled a motion of no confidence in this shambolic government. When the official opposition fails to step up, the real opposition to this Tory government will step in. The Prime Minister is now running scared and denying to give time to our motion for fear of the result. Prime Minister, are you so frightened of defeat that she will deny the Parliament another vote? to the right honourable gentleman. We've been clear that Parliament will have a vote, a meaningful vote on the deal. Uh, we have set out when that will be. But he talks about the, the questions of dealing with the uh, Scottish economy. If he's concerned about the Scottish economy, why is it that the Scottish Government has taken measures that mean that people earning £27,000 or more in Scotland will be paying more tax than in the rest of the UK? That, that isn't good for the Scottish economy and it isn't good for the people concerned. Yeah. 
The Prime Minister was completely correct to castigate the party opposite for their deeply flawed plan to snatch shares in private companies. So will she join me in also condemning the South African Parliament who are currently taking powers to seize land from their own citizens without compensation and solely based on the colour of their skin? Mr Speaker, this is not only wrong, it is also risking putting another African country from a breadbasket into a basket case. Well, can I say to my honourable friend that I recognise the concern that he's expressed about this issue. It was, an, it was an issue, the question of land reform was one which I raised with President Ramaphosa when I visited South Africa in August. We, we recognise the concern there is and the need there is for land reform. But President Ramaphosa has consistently stated that violent and illegal land seizures will not be tolerated, and he's also consistently said that the process should be orderly within South African laws and taking into consideration both the social and economic impact. We want to see a process that is fair and a process that, while it recognises the need to deliver on land reform, does that in a way that is fair to all South African citizens. Graham Morris. Thank you. It's, it's only a few short months since the Prime Minister promised us an end to austerity. So why, at a time when demands on council resources in deprived areas like mine are increasing and, indeed, health inequalities are widening, does the Prime Minister believe that it's right to cut the public health budget for County Durham by £19 million and increase the public health budget in affluent Surrey by £14 million? to the Honourable Gentleman. Obviously there are, there are funding arrangements that, uh, that apply across in terms of the de- decisions in relation to these sums of money. But there are, there, he talks about dis- disparities that occur. Of course, funding per dwelling for the local authority in Durham is more than it is in other areas. Like It's more than it is in my Maidenhead constituency. So there are proper ways of looking at these issues. There are proper ways of looking at these issues and ensuring, as we are, by putting more money into our local authorities, that the money is there for local authorities to do the job that they need to do. Kevin Hollin-Rake. Uh, thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, senior managers at Lloyds and HBOS were convicted of a disgraceful fraud against their own business customers. Now there is compelling evidence of a cover-up at the highest level, including a recent admission of the disgraceful mistreatment of a whistleblower. And this week, the compensation scheme for victims was described by the QC Jonathan Laidlaw as partial to the bank's interests. Does my right honourable friend agree that the Chief Executive, Antonio Horto Osorio, should now consider his position? And also that the compensation scheme should be replaced by an independent process of arbitration. Can I first of all say to my honourable friend that this is an important issue he's raised and I know he has consistently campaigned on this and he's, uh, I understand, raised this yesterday in a debate in Westminster Hall. Uh, The events, as he has said in his question, the events at HBOS Reading at that branch constituted criminal activity and it's right that those responsible were brought to justice. Now, decisions about whether to launch financial services conduct investigations are the responsibility of the Financial Conduct Authority as the independent regulator for the sector and I understand they're currently conducting two investigations into the events at HBOS Reading, including the bank's communications with regulators following the discovery of the misconduct. Obviously, we look forward to the conclusions of these investigations and I know my honourable friend will continue to champion the needs and the concerns of all those who found themselves uh, recipients and, and victims of what was identified as criminal activity. Man, for almost 400 years this country, almost uniquely in the world, 
has been a place of safety and security and a place where Jewish communities have thrived. 2018, many in the Jewish community are questioning whether this will be the case into the future. And a disturbingly large number of young Jewish people are questioning whether they should remain in this country. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that 2019 has to be a year when we all stand up and be counted to ensure that those young Jewish people believe and stay in this country wishing to contribute and no longer fearing for their future? Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that I absolutely agree with him. Jewish people should be able to feel safe and secure in this country. I don't want, and I I never thought I would see the day when Jewish people living in this country questioned whether they should stay in this country. I think this is a terrible state of affairs that that we have come to. There's no place for racial hatred in our society. It's important that we all take every step to tackle it. I was very pleased to be able to host the reception as part of the recent groundbreaking Sarah Conference. Sarah Conference, organised by the Honourable Member and the APPG on anti-Semitism and the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust, looking at the twin evils of misogyny and anti-Semitism. But, my, but it is absolutely right when the Honourable Gentleman talks about the need for us all, every one of us, to stand up uh, now, but to stand up as we go into the new year and say 2019 will be the year when we stand up and say there is no place for anti-Semitism or racial hatred in our society. Sir Roger Gale. Mr Speaker, um, most members of this House on both sides are likely to spend much of the recess working, as will I know my right honourable friend herself. Given the cost in terms of staffing and security, can my right honourable friend think of any reason at all other than grandstanding for the early recall of Parliament? And will she, with our good wishes, continue her endeavours to seek a solution to what we all know is a very intractable problem? Uh, My friend is absolutely, absolutely right. Um, I think it is important that we're able to conduct the discussions that we are taking are taking place with the European Union, and we've been clear that we will bring that meaningful vote back to this House. I think in the right we've set out the timing on which that will be done. But I would like to thank my honourable friend for pointing out that members of this House, when they leave this uh, this Parliament, uh, when we go into recess, don't just go away. They actually go to their constituencies and they work in their constituencies and for their constituents. And uh, that is something that is all too frequent forgotten by many, and I thank him for raising it and reminding us of it. Jonathan Reynolds. Mr Speaker, homelessness in the UK is now a national emergency and a national disgrace. How can it be, in a country of our resources, our talents and our wealth, that this year 320,000 British people have been classed as being homeless. Don't listen to your ministers, Prime Minister. You only need to go to any British city centre this Christmas to see just how bad this problem has become since 2010. Whatever the government thinks it's doing, it's not enough. So, Prime Minister, please, will you try and do better next year? to the Honourable Gentleman. First of all, I think in the way he put his question, he's uh, confusing or putting together homelessness and rough sleeping. These are different issues. But there are nobody, nobody should have to sleep rough on the streets of this country. That is why we are taking action against it. But he raises the wider issue, the wider issue of homelessness. 
Why is it that we have this wider issue? It is because governments, year after year, fail to build enough homes in this country. We need to ensure we need to ensure we are building those homes. That's what this government is doing. That's what this government is doing. Last year, we saw the number of homes being built at the highest level for any but one of the last 31 years. And if he wants to ensure that there is a variety of housing available to uh, people in this country, it is this government that has ensured that councils can borrow more to build more houses. And what did he and the Labour Party do? They voted against it. Mr Speaker, 12 young people die each week in this country from sudden cardiac arrest and that figure could be reduced significantly by more availability of defibrillators. Would the Prime Minister therefore support my 10 minute rule bill which is being presented to Parliament this afternoon asking for mandatory installation of defibrillators in all schools, yeah. all leisure centres and all public buildings so we can end this needless loss of life? Yeah. My honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this issue and we take it extremely seriously and we're certainly committed to encouraging all schools to acquire defibrillators as part of their first aid equipment and the Department for Education has been working with the NHS to make these life-saving devices more affordable and uh, they've also become easier to use in, in recent times but I'd also like to pay tribute not only to my honourable friend for raising this issue but to those many people up and down the country who are campaigning and raising funds to ensure that there are defibrillators in, uh, in not just schools but actually in other places such as outside the uh, the uh, um, hall in Hollyport in my constituency which was raised by people in that village money raised by people in that village we should commend them for what they're doing and we will continue to work to ensure that defibrillators are available the, the ONS excess winter mortality figures show that in our country over the past 10 years 313,000 people have died because of the cold 50,000 died last winter the highest number of winter casualties since 1976. Yeah. It is a shameful indictment on our ability as a country to protect our most elderly and vulnerable residents. Yeah. So can I ask the Prime Minister to say specifically what she's going to be doing this winter to prevent thousands of people from dying needlessly? There are, there are many actions that the government is taking in relation to the wider issue that the, the Honourable Gentleman has raised about people uh, saving lives over the winter, action that's being taken in the NHS and elsewhere. Of course, for people to be able to heat their homes and be able to have confidence that they can afford to heat their homes, it's important that we help those who find themselves stuck on tariffs that are not the right tariffs for them, that are higher than they should be. That's why our energy price cap is an important step in this. It will help 11 million households. Uh, uh, on average, £76 a year will be saved, and for some, £130. Uh, my right honourable friend will be aware that demand for special educational needs is increasing throughout the country, and resources are thinly spread. Will she undertake in 2019 to make it an even higher priority for our government to provide generous support for these very special children? I thank my, my right honourable friend. He's absolutely right. The need to ensure that we are providing for children with special educational needs is very important. We're already seeing six billion this year going towards children with complex special educational needs. That is the highest level on record. And we're also investing 265 million pounds through to 2021 
to create new school places and improve the existing facilities for children with special educational needs and those with disabilities. But it's also about the programme we have with our free schools that have opened 34 special schools so far, with a further 55 in the pipeline. That's providing for children with special educational needs, and we will continue to do so. Greasy. Thank you, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Yesterday, within hours of the Prime Minister greenlighting the No Deal preparations, my constituent contacted me to say that he had been sent a redundancy notice by his work directly as a result of the chaos this will cause. Her own figures show that any Brexit deal will leave us poorer, but No Deal means a £24 billion hit to our public finances. <laughs> the Chancellor barracks, it's his own figures! <laughs> Maybe. So can the Prime Minister tell my now unemployed constituent what public services she's going to cut or what taxes she's planning to rise to deal with that hole? Or is she just going to leave it to one of her successors to deal with these problems? Can I say to the Honourable Lady, while the Government is making contingency arrangements for no deal, of course what the Government is working for is to get the agreement on the deal that has been negotiated with the European Union, such that we leave with a good deal for the United Kingdom that ensures that jobs are increased in this country as they have been over the last eight years under a Conservative Government. Dr Sarah Wollaston. Will the Prime Minister thank, join me in thanking all NHS, social care and emergency services who will be working over Christmas and the New Year? Imagine how many more of them could be employed if we weren't hemorrhaging billions preparing for a disastrous no deal. Minister, end the uncertainty by ruling out no deal. And will she also end the uncertainty, please, by publishing the long term 10 year plan for the NHS before we break for Christmas? Here, here. Well, can I say to my honourable friend that she and indeed a number of others have raised this question of no deal and not wanting to have no deal. As I've said earlier in answer to questions, there is a simple way to ensure that we don't leave with no deal, and that is to back the deal. And see, Lucas. Motor neuron disease is terminal, but under this government, people who are diagnosed with this dreadful disease have to prove that they have a reasonable expectation of death within six months or go through a process of assessment. Will the Prime Minister show some empathy, show some compassion and take action with her new Secretary of State to end this dreadful state of affairs that she is presiding over? Can I say to the, the Honourable Gentleman, he obviously raises an important issue about those who have uh, with uh, motor neuron disease. Uh, I, I will note the point that he makes. I will inquire from the Department of Work and Pensions the, on these issues. Uh, can I say to the, the Honourable Gentleman, what I'm saying to him is that I will look into the issue that he has raised and I will respond to him in writing. Yeah. Justine Greening. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister is sending Parliament off for a two-week break at the very moment we have a Brexit crisis and no decisions. And our communities want us here representing them in Parliament. If we're not even back until the 7th of January, how can she possibly say that we're doing our job? And isn't the message to the British people, crisis, what crisis? 
We're in a very simple situation, I'm sure my right honourable friend understands. Uh, Parliament uh, members across this House raised some concerns in relation to, specifically in relation to the Northern Ireland backstop in the withdrawal agreement. We are having further discussions with the European Union. Uh, on that matter to achieve the assurances, as I've said, political and legal assurances that will assuage those concerns, and then we will bring the vote back to this House. Chris Elmore. As the Home Secretary will not answer a rather straightforward question, yes or no, is it the Prime Minister's intention that her government will still reduce immigration to the tens of thousands? (laughs) Yes. A bit of hush for a Midlands dame. Dame Caroline Spellman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My right honourable friend was sent a letter on a cross party basis from those of us who have manufacturing workers and those who support them, who are deeply concerned about the impact of Brexit on their jobs. Would she agree that? That what, what would be best, the best way to avoid the unnecessary economic damage of leaving with no deal is to leave with a deal and protect those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, can I say to my right honourable friend, uh, she's absolutely right. Manufacturing industry has been clear with us that they want uh, the country to leave the European Union with a deal, with a deal that helps to protect those jobs. That's exactly what we want to do. And that is the decision that this Parliament will be faced with when we bring the meaningful vote back. Lillian Greenwood. Mr yeah, Speaker. Yeah, yeah. Almost 1,000 Nottingham South residents have already responded to my Brexit survey. Only 7% back her deal, and more than three quarters want to vote on Brexit if MPs can't agree. She won't let Parliament have a vote, and she opposes letting the people have a vote. Aren't her attempts to dodge and delay simply costly and reckless? The Honourable Lady is wrong. She says that I won't let Parliament have a vote. Parliament will have a vote when we have conducted those further discussions with the EU. Anna Subri. Mr Speaker, I am afraid that the Prime Minister is wrong when she says that the choice that will eventually face this House is the choice between her deal and no deal. I gently say that no responsible Conservative Prime Minister, we are after all the party of business, would be so reckless as to take us out of the European Union without a deal. Will the Prime Minister now commit to this? Some junior minister presumes to try to shout down the Right Honourable Lady. Not only unethical, Mr Opperman, but always, everywhere, without exception, doomed to fail. Anna Subri. It is a little dangerous as well, I may say. (laughs) Would the Prime Minister now commit to this? When her deal fails, as we all know it will, will she then commit to allowing this House to consider all the various options that exist to her deal by way of proper, meaningful votes as a matter of urgency, given the clock is ticking down? Right, honourable friend. 
the House will be having the meaningful vote that the House asked for. Uh, that meaningful vote will be on the deal that has been agreed and negotiated with the European Union, subject to obviously the further work that is being undertaken in relation to the assurances. Uh, but what I also say to my right honourable friend, and, and I've recognised her concern that she and others have raised about no deal, I come back to the point that the only way to ensure we don't leave with no deal is to ensure that we leave with a deal. Mary Glendon. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister quickly intervene to overcome difficulties at the Home Office which are obstructing my constituent, Laura Smith, from accessing her vital medication, Dunovanol, and which may mean she will have to face unaffordable procurement costs plus hundreds for the drug itself? I say to the Honourable Lady, the Home Secretary is obviously on the bench and has heard the question. I will ask him to respond to her. Philip Davis. The, uh, the Prime Minister originally said that if we left the EU without a deal, we wouldn't pay them any money. She's more recently said that if we leave without a deal, we would have to pay them some money. The Prime Minister must have taken some legal advice on this issue, as no British Prime Minister would commit billions of pounds of British taxpayers' money without finding out what our strict legal financial liability is. So, given, uh, given that, can she set out exactly what that legal advice is on how much money we would have to give the EU if we left without a deal, upon which sections of the EU treaties those financial liabilities stem from, and how much she would give over to the EU if we were to leave without a deal? Is it? That is information that this House needs to know and the EU needs to know. I'm a generous man, Mr Speaker. I'm, I'm a generous... Order! Order! I'm not having the Honourable Gentleman shouted down. The Honourable Gentleman will complete his question. Mr Philip Davis. I'm a, I'm a reasonable and generous man, Mr Speaker. So if the Prime Minister doesn't, doesn't have that information to hand, then perhaps she would write to me after this session with the answers to those specific questions. Uh, can I say to my honourable friend that I don't have the answers to all of those questions straight to hand, and I will indeed write to him. Speaker Grant. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Immigration from the European Union has significantly benefited my constituency, economically, socially, and culturally, as it's benefited all 650 constituencies in these four nations. The government's own analysis shows that cutting immigration from the European Union hurts our economy, and that's precisely what the immigration white paper about to be published aims to do. Can the Prime Minister identify a single tangible benefit that my constituents will notice that could possibly compensate for lower earnings, lower standards of living, and desperate staff shortages in our public services? suggest to the Honourable Gentleman that he looks actually at previous research that has been done by the Migration Advisory Committee, which shows that the, uh, in certain economic circumstances and uh, the numbers of people coming to the United Kingdom from the European Union and overall migration into, into the United Kingdom did have an effect on people here already resident in the United Kingdom and their ability to get into the jobs market. Paul Scully! You helpfully circulated a, uh, an update on the behaviour in this place. Now, in the, in the, this year, when we've been celebrating 100 years of women getting the vote, do you think it's appropriate language, can I ask my right honourable friend, to call people a stupid women in this chamber? Ah. 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 
I say to my honourable friend that I think that everybody in this House, particularly in this 100th year anniversary of women getting the vote, should be aiming to encourage women to come into this chamber and to stand in this chamber and should, and should therefore use appropriate language in this chamber when they are referring to female members. Mr Nigel Dodds. Thank you, Mr Speaker, can I join with other in wishing everybody a very happy Christmas and a peaceful uh, New Year? And as the, uh, as the Prime Minister uh, ponders over Christmas what might be done to get her withdrawal agreement uh, through this House, can I urge her to consider the necessary changes, changes that need to be made, not just assurances, in order to get somewhere with any realistic prospect of actually uh, winning that vote. I hope hope the right honourable gentleman will forgive me if I say I would like to give him the reassurance that we will of course look at all the options that are available for dealing with the issues that have been raised. Order.